Hello and welcome to this live chat podcast thing. I'm not entirely sure exactly what it's going to be. Uh, it's just us hanging out, having fun, chatting about that hobby that we all absolutely love and looking at questions that have been coming up in my mind during the last week's worth of role playing and, and working on the hobby, as well as questions that you might have uh, to ask that I can hopefully provide some kind of answer to or some kind of insight Two. And just a reminder, these are live recordings that take place every Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. British Summer Time time. So if you can join us, that would be absolutely amazing. We've got quite a crowd already uh, here today for the inaugural launch of this whole thing. So I'm very pleased to see that. And I've got some topics that I would like to talk about. But I believe, and I hope this doesn't break everything, but if I go down to the Ask a Question channel... I should still be talking to you whilst being able to actually see any questions that are being asked in that space. So if you do have questions that you want to ask me, throw them into that ask a question under the game table on Discord and ask away. And hopefully I'll be able to see them and get to answering them. In the meantime, in the next 25 minutes or so, I thought we could talk about the following uh, subjects. The Spelljammer uh, event, the uh, release of Spelljammer, a little bit of an update on the practical guide to becoming a great GM. Uh, a question that's very much on my mind, is it time for 5th edition to be fixed? Um, and then I want to talk about Newcastle Cathedral, which is quite a unique church. I've certainly not come across a church or a cathedral that had this particular addition to it that uh, it has. Uh, I wanted to talk about D&D in a castle as well as map making and uh, answer any questions. So all of that in 25 minutes. I think it's totally doable. And yes, I may have overplanned the amount of topics that uh, I uh, wanted to include in today's show. But, you know, at least I've got stuff planned. So why don't we kick off with talking about Spelljammer? Now, I remember way back when, when I was getting into Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing in general, because we lived so far away from humanity, we were at that point still under sanction as a country in South Africa. So we really didn't have access to a lot of stuff uh, in terms of the role-playing space, but we did have access occasionally to a book or two that could be ordered by postal mail way back in the day. And uh, we, we had to really, really watch what we purchased, what we spent our money on, because the exchange rate was ridiculously high. And of course, we were, we were school kids. We didn't have a huge disposable income anyway. And Spelljammer was one of those settings that was there that we always kind of looked at and went, oh, that looks really cool. I really, really want to play in that. I think that kind of merges some options together that we, we liked. But we never got there. As a matter of fact, we never played in any of the official D&D settings, Greyhawk, uh, Sword Coast, and, and the like. We, we just didn't have money to spend buying those books. We always just used to make our own, which I'm actually very grateful for because, well, if you wanted to play D&D, you had to make up your own world. You literally just made up a map and started going. And I think that gave me, anyway, a very strong foundation in terms of creating... Uh, worlds because it was like well cool um, 
this is this is what I can do because I had to do it and you had to learn how to draw maps and um, collect maps was another thing that I used to do I remember uh, we we used to sit in the library and look at all of the fantasy books that were coming out books like um, the Belgrade by um, uh, David Eddings uh, subsequently republished acknowledging the um, impact and the contributions of his wife which I thought was great um, but the Belgrade and the Malorian which were two um, books they came with maps now they were very simple maps in comparison to what we get these days literally just black and white they had to be because they were being printed in paperback uh, but also we didn't really have the knowledge or the idea of these beautiful maps I think the Lord of the Rings had probably one of the most beautiful fantasy maps in the in the late 90s that I certainly was exposed to and so we would sort of collect these maps and look at how these maps were made and then we would make our own worlds in which in which to play so it was an interesting learning curve for us. But Spelljammer specifically really got my my interest uh, simply because I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And I absolutely love the idea of role-playing a fantasy-style game in uh, the Astral Sea. So it's not real space as we know it. It is kind of vacuumous and there isn't lots of air out there, but there's a lot of other things that they basically hand-waved away and claimed, well, this was the Astral Sea. It's, it's very different. Now, they did not release Spelljammer for 3rd edition, as far as I know, and they certainly didn't release it for 4th edition. So releasing it for 5th edition is very, very interesting. Um, and some interesting stats. It first came out... 32 years ago in 1989 and uh, what a long time ago that was and how D&D has changed since then one of the things though that I am particularly concerned about is that when you look at what Dungeons and Dragons has done historically in terms of managing ships in terms of the player characters being involved in ships, being involved in ship-to-ship combat, they have not performed well, in my humble opinion. And I'm very cognizant of the fact that I may be role-playing with one of the designers of the book that came the closest to inventing ship-to-ship combat. Um, That's the Ghosts of Saltmarsh game. Um, Now, I, I took that... Ghosts of Saltmarsh, I ran that and I did not like how they handled ship-to-ship combat. I found it was incredibly laborious. It was very underwhelming and it was basically done simply because that is what Dungeons & Dragons rules framework dictated could or could not happen. I decided, well, it's a homebrew world, my world, so I can add in my own mechanics. And that's why then I went and created the Complete Guide to Nautical Campaigns. Originally, it was just meant to be ship combat. There wasn't meant to be anything more to the book. But as I was writing the ship combat, I was like, well, the players have got to, if they're going to have a ship, they're going to want cargo. They want to go, they want to, they going to, going to want to, uh, shoulda, coulda. They're going to want to have cargo transport rates. How much does it cost to transport a, a, a civilian? What does a passenger cost versus transporting camels? Uh, then they're going to want to upgrade that ship. They're going to want that ship to then level up with them because that was the other problem was that there was very little sense that these ships would upscale with the player characters. So yes, initially a ship with a ballista or with a catapult on board 
can present a lot of damage. But once the players are above level 5, a catapult is not that significant. It's 5d8 damage or 5d10 damage or, or, or I forget the exact number, but it's not a huge amount of damage for a character that is wearing armor and that's got some good hit points. So that means by level 10, a ship could have 5 ballista, but if they can't hit the character to begin with, the damage that they're doing is insignificant. So I started to grow this book and I realized there was so much to it. Now with Spelljammer, I am hoping that somehow they've decided or realized we need to include something that's going to address this because otherwise the starship or the, the Spelljammer, the ship itself, they're called Spelljammers, the ship, uh, well, quite frankly, that's basically just becoming a floating building that the player characters are going to use as their base of operations and move out from. There's going to be very little interaction from the player characters in terms of determining their ship and, and things along those lines. So I really hope that in this book, they're going to be covering those aspects. Because quite frankly, if I cannot have Jean-Luc Picard as a paladin commanding his starship with a fighter first officer and a cleric as his counselor and another cleric as the doctor, or maybe she should be a druid. I don't know. I don't think, has anyone ever actually translated the Star Trek crew into fifth edition characters? No? Well, I think that's something that we should be doing. I mean, that's insane. Picard's got to be a paladin, right? I mean, he can't be anything else. Although, would you say Picard is lawful good? Or would you say he's more lawful neutral simply because he won't break the prime directive he was quite really ready to have wesley crusher killed because he broke the prime directive and blah 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 uh okay maybe i'm talking too much about star trek here but dsc why i'm excited about Spelljammer is because now i suddenly could do that provided that the people who are giving us this rule book recognize that this is what they're opening up i don't really care about the gifts and the gith yankee and all of that kind of stuff that goes with the astral sea i'm going to be adding in my own species for the players to fight anyway what i care about is the mechanics and let me tell you folks if those mechanics aren't there i will write them because this is something that I'm very, very passionate about. So passionate about, as a matter of fact, I actually went and spent, I, I don't want to tell you how much I spent, but it kind of crept up and got higher and higher and higher. I have actually bought the plans that Walt Disney designed for the Nautilus from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I think that was a 1960s movie. Um, they built the, they made the plans for the Nautilus, and then they released those plans for remote control model hobbyists. Now, it just so happens that those plans translate into a pretty good one-inch gridded ship for use in Dungeons & Dragons. So I bought the plans, and then I may have bought some wood, and I may have bought some glue, which currently is sitting here. You can hear it rattling. Uh, to build my own Nautilus variant i want a variant i wanted to, i wanted to have extra stuff because obviously disney's nautilus was a submarine and needed to go through water I, i've got plans for sails and some cool stuff like that but i want to play a game in Spelljammer where my player characters are the champions they're the heroes but they also in charge of the ship now i'm gonna just i'm assuming that dungeons and dragons is not gonna have rules for how the player characters can take on these roles simply because it requires a whole bunch of new classes or it requires some some tweaking or I don't know what they're going to do. 
I know my system that I developed for nautical campaigns is where the players assume the roles once they step on the ship and then lose those roles once they get off the ship. That's what I'm going to be implementing. I beg your pardon, I had to cough there. I was getting so excited. It's like, oh, I can't wait for this thing to come out. Please let it come out. I hope that some of you are excited about this. I'm just going to check the ask a question section. Oh my goodness, so many questions there already. Look at that. Fantastic. Okay. So, um, well, the very first thing I love David Eddings says the Cobalt GM. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. David Eddings was very formative for me when I was reading fantasy all the way through uh, high school and that sort of thing. Um, and um, yeah, very, 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 very um, excited for that. Um, now, in terms of the the Spelljammer questions, uh, have you ever played a Spelljammer campaign before? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. Um, and then the following question, are you going to live stream the Spelljammer campaign? Do you know what? I'm going to confess it here. I don't think I am. I might, but I don't think I will. The reason why I say that is simply because when you are live streaming a game, you are, you are changing the way the game works at a fundamental level. Whether you whether you want to or not. Now Matt Colville was adamant that he was never going to run his his home his home game as a live stream, and then he decided to do it. But he said, "I'm going to run this as if it's my home game, and I'm going to ignore the camera." And I know that people watch it. I don't know if he's still doing it or not, to be perfectly honest with you. But it definitely had a different feeling to it to a a game where you go, "I am going to run this for an audience," because I feel that. If there is an audience watching, the audience needs to be able to be involved in some way. There needs to be some kind of recognition that the audience is there, or at least when you are then designing your game, you need to design your game with that in mind, and your players have to be aware that there are people watching, there's people listening. You can't just get up and go and have a drink or 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 do the things that we do around our gaming tables when no one is watching, right? So I'm not sure. I, I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it going, I'm going to be greedy on that. Having said that, who knows, folks? Who knows? The world is a strange place and things happen. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Um, now, I think I'm going to get shouted at by the admin of the Discord channel because um, there's a, a good uh, point here. Are these questions for the stream or are they just in general? They are for the stream, so I'm probably going to have to make a separate stream uh, question channel thing for now. Uh, you heard it here. I love the moderators of the Discord channel. They make it possible. They really, really do. They're phenomenal folks. Um, so massive thank you to them anyway. Now, um, right, uh, let's see. Uh, what would your sentence be for your Spelljammer campaign? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's an excellent question. My sentence for the Spelljammer campaign, I guess... The very first one that I would write would have to be something along the lines of um, there is something that is causing the astral sea to explode. Uh, and so I'm just busy working through my sentence. If you don't know what my sentence is, it's someone is having uh, someone wants something badly and is having difficulty getting it using a certain means Um uh, or someone wants something badly by a specific time and is having difficulty getting it. Um, so I would say that 
there is probably some kind of astral entity. I would even go so far as to say there is some kind of lich that is out there, an abyssal lich or, or a lich who wants to reclaim their life. And they've realized the way to do that is to suck the life out of things within the astral sea. But in doing so, they cause these tsunami events to happen within the astral sea. I'm guessing. I mean, I'm just making this up on the fly, folks. So I would have my players, you know, going on their adventure. They're doing whatever. And they're on a planet. And the next minute, there is this communication from the ship using sending stones or, or whatever they bring into it, because that's also something that's important, um, is, is, is we'll see what the Spelljammer guys add. It is only, I've heard rumors, it's only 87 pages long. This worries me. If it's 87 pages long, it's a couple of classes. It's some spells. Um, I'm hoping at least, at least it's got to be at, at least two or three ship designs, right? I mean, it has to be, surely. Um, at least that's my thinking. I would then, uh, yeah, have the PCs start to investigate and there are these events that are going on. And um, I think it would be really useful if we look at the Astral Sea and, and um, we design it in such a way that we start to have those races like the Githyanki. We have them have their territory. We have the Illithid territories. You know, uh, I mean, I'm also probably showing my ignorance here in terms of what is actually in the Spelljammer campaign. I think my brain just went, it's starships in space with D&D. How can you get any better? Now, originally, I thought that was what Starfinder was going to be. And boy, when I saw how Starfinder's starship combat worked, I was so, so upset. I was actually so upset when I had an opportunity to chat to the designer. I turned it down. I went, well, there's nothing for me to say. Because all I'm going to say is, why? Why? Why would you do this? Why? And then I realized it was because of money. And I went, oh, okay. So so there we go. Anyway, uh, that that is something to think about. And... um. Right, so, yes, what class would Worf be? Oh, let's test your Star Trek knowledge here. Uh, what class would Worf be? Well, Worf is a security officer who becomes a tactical officer, uh, but basically that's kind of like the same thing. So I would say that Worf is a warrior. He's got to be a warrior, right? At least I think he's a warrior. Um, would I emphasize survival? I think that space or astral sea is a very dangerous space. Having said that, I would probably do the the trope. I would say, okay, folks, uh, we've got a sh your ship. It's got this air pocket around it. That's what happens in Spelljammer is that the ships create this pocket of air around the, the, the craft. Um, but if the craft is damaged, then they are going to be running out of air. So they're going to have to limp back to the nearest planet to resupply, or they're going to have to find a colony, or they're going to have to do a this or a that. Um, obviously, you can have the, the sabotage uh, event going on in the ship where an NPC they've taken on board sabotages the ship and is actually working for that lich. So there's lots of things that we can do, I think, personally, in terms of, of doing that. I mean, if you look at Star Trek, for example, there are 400 episodes from just the original series, The Next Generation, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine. They are, there are some episodes, for sure, which you go, oh, these are kind of similar. 
But then you add in all of the other things that are going on. I mean, can you imagine doing a time travel where your characters go back in time and arrive at the planet that they left from, where the elves are now suddenly all in control because the humans haven't even yet started to evolve properly? There are so many cool things that we can drag from sci-fi and bring into our games while still at exactly the same time keeping it high fantasy. Another thing that kind of gets me interested is to go, okay, well, where are we going to go with this? I think it's a campaign. I definitely think that it's, it's, it's a, a, a campaign uh, or two. I don't know if it's a huge amount of campaigns. Again, it depends on how they handle the ships. It's something that we've got to look at. Uh, and and so that's definitely something that I will be very keen on seeing. I have signed up. I've done the pre, uh, I think on D&D Beyond, if you signed up, you got some monsters. The monsters are pretty cool. I mean, they've got those four-winged shark things that create air bubbles around that they get the Yankee ride around on. Those are really cool little fighter jets. So I think there's lots of opportunities. It really just depends depends entirely entirely on how uh they handle it and uh so absolutely i think uh ravensmore asks will you send out an expansion for nautical campaigns tome to add rules i absolutely will i would actually love to go back to nautical campaigns and rework it in a little bit uh change it up uh, you know i mean i think this is true of anybody who is writing a book you write it you release it, you read it, you think you're, you're happy with it, and then a year later you open it up, you read it, and you go, what was I thinking? That was such an opportunity that I missed or that I could have taken or that I could have capitalized on. There's so much stuff that I would still add to nautical campaigns as well. Um, but yes, I think that uh, we would sort of, again, aim to release a little, uh, little sort of magazine saying, okay, cool, here we go. This is how we would do this in Spelljammer um, and, and what we would fix and, and, and what we would work with. I think the thing to bear in mind, it's always about just having fun and meeting the expectations of the players and of the 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 dm you have to want to play in this game and for me you can hear the kind of game that i would want to play in i would want my characters to be uh this 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 team that have their 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 ship and and i would want them to engage with that ship and to to love that ship and give it a name and you know uh have fun with it when when i had the wonderful joy of playing with michael um the dead aussie gamer we played a starfinder game i was reluctant to play starfinder because i didn't like how they did starship combat we didn't actually have any starship combat because of that uh loathing so it, it was it, it was fun and we had a ship called the star swift which was a play on an original campaign that I ran called the Windswift, where the players had an airship and they were sailing around the world for uh, that. They weren't leaving and going into the, the Astral Sea. Um, but, um, you know, it, it features heavily in my campaigns, is giving people ships. And it, it gives them a sense of mobility. It allows them to move around your world. It allows you to explore more of your world. So I think there's lots of benefit, personally, to having 
the player characters being very mobile. I like to have big campaigns that stretch across the whole planet anyway. Now I have a whole galaxy. It's like, oh, give this to me now. I want it now. We get uh, some pre-rules in July, I think, and then only in August do we actually get the the final copy. I have to say, I'm really, really... uh, I was excited initially for Wizards of the Coast buying out the D&D Beyond system because I thought, you know, that might result in us not having to spend as much money buying the D&D Beyond version and then having to buy the physical version because, let's be honest, a physical version is always nice to have and you can page through it and you can get inspiration from it as opposed to the digital version where you can't. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Wizards of the Coast is going, (laughs) we can charge twice for the same book. That is exactly what's going to happen. And all fairness to them, they're running a business. They're not running a charity. They have to make their numbers. And they have to make bigger numbers every year, of course, because they've got Hasbro breathing down their necks. So there are definitely, definitely, definitely reasons why they will not drop that price as much as I wish that they would. Even if you kind of got a coupon, buy the physical book and get 10% off. That would be nice. I would buy the book. But I think they'd know that there are people who will go, well, we're going to just buy the book and buy the the thing as well um anyway let's look at some more questions here um what made you dislike the starfinder ship combat so much uh even though i know nothing about the system so the starfinder ship combat was very much focused on you using miniatures they tried to make it a miniatures game to the to the to the point that when you actually play an official starfinder starship combat the player characters almost fall by the wayside and you actually are encouraged to roll out a starfield where you have to move starships around using a completely separate set of rules, uh, as far as I remember. This was also about six years or seven years ago. Um, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have a disconnect between starships or or. Uh, spell jammers and the player characters i want the player characters to be in there i want them to be making the decisions and i want them to have the same um uh, decision making the same combat roles the same values and things i want all of that stuff to be homogenous i want it to work together we are in an age where the whole shift of dungeons and dragons when spell jammer first came out 89 there was no homogeneity across the books. The books were kind of written, sometimes they're written in complete isolation of other stuff. Um, there are there, The rules were not streamlined, which is not a problem. Uh, we had a huge amount of inequality. There were races or, or species, there were classes, there were uh, kits, there were feats, there were things that really, really were, were hugely inequitable in terms of the whole system. And what 5th edition did was they said, okay, we're going to codify everything. We're going to try and make everything sit in, in, in harmony with it, everything. We're going to have rules on how to make your own classes and how to make your own species and all that kind of stuff. And those rules are going to be very, very rigid to try and prevent scope creep because that's often what happened. Um, and you go, mm, yes, okay, cool. That's the homogeneity that we are looking for, or that I am looking for. Anyway, we know it's possible, so that means we should be getting it, not getting a system that disconnects. Anyway, we won't go too much more on that. Um, So, uh, yes, Uh, I see... um, 
Ravensmore saying, I enjoyed using nautical campaigns, but it was time consuming to set up the VTT. Absolutely. When I released uh, nautical campaigns, when I was playing Ghost of Saltmarsh, I was working with Fantasy Grounds at the time, and I was in contact with their, their designers and things, and I was saying, look, I need a monster to have multiple areas and multiple hit points. And they went, we're just not designed for that. That's just not something that is in our our system you'd have to redesign it from the scratch so yes absolutely i mean it is definitely a a thing and this is what happens when you are trying to create your own homebrew stuff is that a lot of us are playing on vtt's and some vtt's just don't allow you to do that there are others that are far more flexible but then you kind of have to have coding and a big shout out to to Max, who coded Foundry VTT for me and put the Bounty Hunter role playing system that I created into Foundry and and made Foundry follow the rules and that sort of thing. And again, once we got to Starship Combat, because I had been influenced in how I had done nautical campaigns, Bounty Hunter was similar in terms of having different hit points for different parts of the same creature. We then started to run into problems and was like, okay, well, we're going to have to code the whole thing from this point to that point, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So homebrew does become problematic. At the same time, though, I would then question and say, well, do we really need the VTT to be doing the maths for us, or can we just manually enter that in on the VTT? Uh, but that's a whole different conversation altogether, I am fairly, fairly certain. Folks, we have actually run out of time today because I have planned on these things only being about 30 minutes long. Um, They are meant to be just a bit of fun, a little bit of a diversion on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, Hopefully not too much of a diversion. And uh, wherever you're listening to this, whenever you are listening to this, I would very much hope to see you all next week when we continue the discussion, or at least we start a new discussion and look for something else to chat about. Um, I will be making a special uh, channel in chat in the Discord chat, discord.tv tv what am i saying ah discord.gg forward slash great gm a special chat for the live show so that we can ask questions and prep in um, preparation for next week's uh, podcast until then i wish you and yours the very happiest of gaming